Matthew chapter 19, verse 1 through 12, starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And the large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man and his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Father, we come to you humbly, asking that you would help us understand your holy word. Holy Spirit, would you please preach a far better sermon than what I'm going to say. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This past week I ran across a couple of articles in the news tabloids of a very sad situation. And it dawned on me that I was seeing this, or I've been seeing this more and more. It's that divorce is being treated very casually in our culture. It doesn't seem like long ago that divorce caused grief and heartache. But it almost seems like now people are branding divorce as an opportunity to co-parent with their best friend that they just shouldn't have married. There seems to be this positive spin on divorce. When it's quite tragic for all parties involved, And so that's where I ask the question, or maybe you ask the question, or maybe we as a church ask the question, if you've ever wondered what the Bible says about divorce. Or maybe, let me ask that question slightly different for us. Have you ever wondered why the Bible says what it says about divorce? 
Have you ever wondered or thought how, as Christians, should we approach and think about divorce? Maybe you're here this morning, listening in, and you're wondering if the Bible even has anything relevant to say in the 21st century about divorce. Well, believe it or not, divorce was actually a very hotly debated topic and was rampant in the life of Jesus. That's why what we're going to see Jesus essentially say in these 12 verses is that because marriage is founded in creation, because marriage is founded in creation, you should treat it seriously. And this morning, we're going to see this unfold first with the Pharisee's question. Next, we'll see Jesus' answer. And then last, we will see the shock of the disciples. So it's no surprise to us as we come to this passage this morning that the Pharisees are looking to trap Jesus. The Pharisees are actually actively looking to take Jesus down. They're conspiring against him. This is why the Pharisees ask a question specifically about divorce in the region of Judea. We start with, in verses 1 through 3, the question. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him. And he healed them there, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now what we need to recognize before we continue on in this passage is that there is a transition of scenes taking place. There is an important transition that's taking place in the life and ministry of Jesus. And we see that in the first two verses where where Jesus is moving away from the region of Galilee and he's moving into the region of Judea. Why is this an important transition for us? Why is this an important transition for Jesus? Well, Jesus, he told his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. So we're seeing Jesus transition away from his ministry in Galilee, and we're seeing him transition to walking the road to Jerusalem, to walking the road to Golgotha, the place where he will be crucified. We're seeing this unfold where he will suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. This is why he's moving this way. And this is why we're seeing that as he moves to the region of Judea, he's still healing the disabled. He's still healing the sick. Which gives, in this large crowd, the Pharisees, a perfect opportunity to ask a hotly debated topic. A hotly debated topic. Question, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? 
Now, as I, I kind of briefly mentioned earlier, what we need to know is and understand is that, that, that divorce was rampant in the first century. It was more prevalent. It, it occurred more often in the first century than it does in the 21st century. There were three popular ways of understanding divorce. The first is that you could only divorce your spouse if there was unfaithfulness, sexual unfaithfulness. The second was that a man could divorce his wife if they simply saw somebody a little bit more attractive. And then lastly, the third way is that a man could divorce his wife if any displeasing thing came up in his marriage. Any emphasized displeasing thing. This is why it was such a hotly debated topic. And no one was short of an opinion. And as I was going through this and studying this, I, it dawned on me that Jesus, he once already talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. And, secondly, John the Baptist was put in jail and ultimately beheaded for speaking against Herod for remarrying his brother's wife. So this is how hotly of a topic it was. And the Pharisees, think to themselves, this is a great and diabolical question to ask Jesus about. Either Jesus, he upsets the crowds, people no longer want to follow him, we have a case against him, or he speaks a little bit too strongly against divorce and we go to Herod and we let Herod deal with Jesus like he dealt with John the Baptist. You see how the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus? They're trying to wash their hands. They're, they're trying to test him and cause him to slip up, to lose favor with the crowds or to upset Herod. This is why it's a diabolical question. This is why it was hotly debated. Now, I want us to be careful because one thing that may happen is you may hear me undermining the seriousness of divorce that takes place in the 21st century. Divorce is, is serious. And we feel the consequences of it. Some of you have tragically had to live through that, whether it was through your own actions or the actions of somebody else. And I think right now in the 21st century, we are feeling it now more than ever. We're told that we live in an anxious age, aren't we? The most anxious age that a society has ever lived through. We're told that the family systems develop a child's ability to cope with life when they are adults, aren't we? 
these aren't just churches or pastors or Christians saying this. This is secular psychologists that say this. Can we not say that there is a connection between the two? Not bringing condemnation, but looking at the reality of what is going on. Understanding the tragedy. Let me maybe illustrate it for us like this. An older woman once told me the story of the tragic reality of her parents' divorce. When she was 13, she was given the ability by the courts to choose who she could live with. She could live with the one who she said she cherished and loved, yet abused and left her family. Or she could choose to live with the one who was consistent and provided for her family. She had an older sibling who was out of the house and a younger sibling who was still in the house. She said she felt like there was this massive weight on her shoulders. She told me she didn't want her parents to divorce. She didn't want to have to choose between the two of them. It tore her apart. Even in her old age, she questioned if she made the right decision. She lamented not being able to maybe do something to control the situation to help repair the marriage. In the 21st century, this is the tragic reality, the sad truth that we must face and come to grips with. That divorce is a tragedy that hurts in more ways than just two people ending a marriage. It affects an entire family system. And what tends to happen is that as the adults are grieving the loss of a spouse that they thought were going to be life partners, the child at times is overlooked in their grief. And as they are overlooked, sin is creeping up. They are developing Anxiety from a situation that they cannot control. They see the explosiveness of the divorce between mom and dad. And they wonder, or they vow never to marry somebody. They wonder if the opposite sex is even safe to marry. They harbor anger that they feel they cannot share. And so it bursts out of them. It lashes out of them in different ways. 
And as I was talking with one person about it this past week, sin's tentacles reach far out. A spider spins a web of sin to catch its victims. See, this just isn't a hotly debated or important conversation to have with Jesus. This is a conversation we need to have as Christians in the 21st century. So how should we then think about divorce? How does Jesus answer this question? What's going through Jesus' mind as he is asked this question? Is it lawful to divorce somebody for any reason? We see in verses 4 through 9 him say this. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now here's a little footnote as we move forward. Is that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul had a conversation with Jesus. And we see in 1 Corinthians that Paul does talk about and helps us understand that there is abandonment grounds for divorce as well. Emotional abandonment, physical abandonment. But because of what Jesus is talking about, I'm not going to look to 1 Corinthians. I'm trying to look to this passage. So I just want that as a footnote as we move forward that you know that I'm not missing that part. Because what we're seeing right here, so what we're seeing right here, Jesus, he's not specifically answering their question uh, specifically. He's giving them a fuller answer to their question. And this is what Jesus tends to do, is that Jesus tends to say, that is a good question, but it's not the, the whole question. It's not the full question that we need to wrestle with. And so what, what we're seeing is we're seeing Jesus break this up. Or, or what we're going to do is we're going to break this up. We're going to look at verses 4 through 6, and then we'll look at verses 7 through 9. And we see that as Jesus starts out answering this question in a fuller way, we see that Jesus actually bypasses the specific answer to their question, doesn't he? He goes right to the source of marriage. Jesus asks them, you're the Pharisees, you're the hotshots, you're the one who memorized the first five books of the Torah. You memorized the Torah. Haven't you read that God created marriage? What Jesus is trying to specifically point out to the Pharisees and remind them is that marriage is rooted in creation. Marriage is rooted in the, the order of creation from the beginning of time. 
God decreed that one man and one woman would marry and their marriage would be for life. That was what God decreed. Marriage isn't some type of construct that humans made up. Marriage is found in the creation that we read about in Genesis. This is why marriage is a sacred act in the life of a person. It's not just a party. It's not just a reception. It's not just a pastor reciting lines or asking somebody this and asking somebody that. It is a sacred union between two people, a man and a woman, who then come together and are unified. This is why Jesus, he starts off with bypassing their question and answers it in a fuller way. He's telling the disciples, he's sharing with the Pharisees that marriage shouldn't be taken lightly because marriage is founded in the order of creation. God created marriage. And the spiritual act of two people becoming one is a bond for life. And this is why Jesus then finishes this section by saying that no one should separate the two who have been joined together. Because to separate the two is to go against God's created will, his created order. But the Pharisees, they're, they're blind to this. They are so blind to what Jesus is saying is that instead of taking time to meditate and reflect and ask, why did Jesus bring up the created order? They view this as an opportunity to pit Jesus against Moses. They think to themselves, ah, we've caught Jesus. We're going to trap him. We're going to pit him against Moses. And so this is why they point to Deuteronomy 24, specifically verses 1 through 4. And they ask, then why did Moses command divorce? Here it is, Jesus. It says right here, Moses commanded divorce. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Why did Moses command that a person could do this? And as Jesus replies to them, he starts out correcting them. It's amazing how one word can make the biggest difference. Did you notice how the Pharisees said and how Jesus talks about divorce? The Pharisees, they say, why did Moses command divorce? But Jesus says something different, doesn't he? Jesus doesn't say that Moses commanded. Jesus corrects them and says Moses permitted or he allowed divorce. Moses didn't command it. He allowed it. He permitted it. Why? Because of the hard hearts of the people. Specifically, 
Moses, he allowed divorce for the protection and the safety of the women as they're traveling through the wilderness. He did this so that way women weren't treated as commodities, property. They weren't abandoned. They weren't stuck in horrifying situations. Or worse, they weren't murdered by their spouse. And so not desiring divorce, Moses allowed divorce for the protection of the women. And so we see that, yes, Moses allowed divorce, but we also see Jesus saying that divorce is not in the created order. It's not a part of God's plan. It's not a part of God's desire for anybody to divorce. So what is Jesus really trying to communicate to the Pharisees, to the disciples, to the people around? Well, what Jesus is saying is that divorce is a result of sin. Divorce is a result of living in a broken world that needs to be reconciled to God. It is a tragic reality of creation being stained with sin. And so we have Jesus saying, that you are allowed to, you're not commanded, but you are allowed to divorce. Only on the grounds of sexual unfaithfulness. Which means that for any other reason, like an undercooked fish, an overcooked fish, and you divorce your wife, and remarry, you are the adulterer. You see, what the Pharisees are trying to do is they're trying to trick, they're trying to outsmart Jesus. It's like when, when a teacher comes into a classroom and they're trying to outsmart their teacher by asking a trick question and that one student raises their hand and says, well, and goes on to answer the trick question and say, well, you're just trying to trick us, but if you weren't trying to trick us, then you should have said it like this, this, or that. Or if you were trying to trick us, this would be a better way to say this. The student goes on to give the teacher a better, a fuller answer, and Jesus is doing something similar here. Jesus is doing something far greater than just merely teaching on divorce. Jesus is doing something higher, something better, something more holy. He is revealing first the hearts of the Pharisees by showing that the Pharisees, they only care about the external actions of the people of the day. They only care about the external works of the people of the day. So, so, so what is Jesus saying? What is he trying to communicate? Jesus, he's, he's pointing to the sin inside of divorce. He's, he's showing how the Pharisees are treating divorce so flippantly. 
You see, Jesus sees divorce as a result of sin, but the Pharisees see it as a result of the works. The Pharisees only care about the outward actions of the people, but Jesus cares about the inside heart of the person. And so what does divorce show us? What is Jesus trying to do by, by talking through and teaching through divorce? Jesus is he's trying to tell his, his disciples, he's trying to tell the Pharisees, divorce shows our need for a perfect spouse. Divorce shows us that we live in a broken world. It shows that we need and desire a blameless spouse, a faithful spouse that never gives up on us. The reality of divorce reminds us that sin still exists deeply inside our hearts and that we ultimately need reconciliation with God because there is only one perfect spouse and his name is Jesus. This is why in Revelation we read that we will be presented as a purified bride to our bridegroom because Jesus, he's the spouse that our hearts long for. Divorce is the constant reminder that we need Jesus. We need Christ. We need Him because no matter how bad it gets in a marriage or how good it is in a marriage, our spouse is a sinner and will be a sinner until they die. But Christ Christ, He is the perfect spouse with total commitment. He is the spouse that will not let you down. He will remain faithful. Even when you are unfaithful to Him, He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. How can we be so sure of this? How can we be so sure of this total faithful commitment? Because he displays his total commitment to us by dying on the cross for you. He shows us his total commitment and faithfulness to us that while yet we were sinners, Christ dies for us, imperfect, unfaithful. Do you realize that Jesus is the perfect spouse that you need? He is the forgiving spouse that we need. How can I say what I just said? That seems a bit extreme. I think how we see the disciples react in shock, that shows that I'm not that far off of what's going on, of what Jesus is trying to communicate. The disciples are shocked at what Jesus says. The disciples, they said to Jesus, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. 
But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. When the disciples hear what Jesus tell the Pharisees, they conclude, the disciples conclude, Jesus it would then just be easier not to marry at all. This is a hard saying, Jesus. Why? Because the disciples are starting to understand. And because the disciples know that no wife, no husband is perfect. That if given the opportunity to divorce your husband or to divorce your wife for just any reason. In one day, we could give our spouse thousands of reasons to do that. And I want us to think about that not like, yeah, my spouse could give me a thousand. I want you to think about it as, yes, I can give my spouse a thousand reasons. Why? Because as we read earlier, we are the chief sinners. You are individually I am and the disciples conclude Jesus it would be better not to commit and just remain single and so the disciples they're realizing that if you want to be married you better be committed and take marriage seriously and do you see how Jesus responds? Do you see how Jesus resolves what he's saying? Does he say, well, no, go ahead and, and marry. Yes, it's, it's hard work and you can work through. No, Jesus actually agrees with them. One of, in my opinion, the strangest resolutions to a teaching about divorce Jesus basically says, yeah, you're right. This is a hard saying. And he then goes on to say, that's why there are singles who are born and never have a desire to marry. And that's why there are singles who remain single from, because of other people, meaning sometimes people are single because they're never asked to marry or they never ask somebody to marry. And, and sometimes, Jesus says, people are made single for the sake of the kingdom advancement or the, the, the kingdom. They, they say, I'm going to remain single. Now let's cut the disciples a little bit of slack because this seems like a bit of an... Ex we, could, we could kind of come down hard on the disciples here. We need to imagine... And we need to wonder what it's like to grow up in a culture where divorce is rampant like it was in the first century. Where, where not only people who aren't Christians are divorcing, but you're going to synagogue or you're going to church and you're hearing the pastor tell you, hey, your wife is a bad cook, that's okay, go ahead and divorce her. Hey, you saw somebody more attractive, 
that's okay, you can divorce your wife if you want to. This is what the disciples grew up in, and so their response of shock, I'm not saying is justifiable, but we can realize and understand why they would say, well, it's better not to marry then. If I can't just divorce my wife for any old reason, then I might as well just not get married. That's what the disciples, they were hearing, they were seeing, they were being taught themselves. So let's be slow to criticize the disciples and let's continue to look inward into our own hearts. Jesus wants you to take marriage serious. He wants you to take the marriage that you're in right now serious. Because it's been founded in creation. And that's exactly why Listen to me closely here, please. Jesus commends singleness, not condemns singleness. I don't know what it is within the church in the 21st century where we see singleness as strange, but there is a stigma to singleness in the church that we shouldn't have here at this church at least. That for whatever reason, if you are single, that either means you're too high maintenance or there must be a quality about you that's just undesirable. What we need to realize is that Jesus commends singleness, not condemns singleness, and that Paul then tells us that singleness is actually a gift from God himself. It is a gift. It's a gift because that person who is single is able to solely be married to Christ without the worry of another spouse to care for. They have no other obligation to any other spouse other than Jesus. They are able to dedicate themselves fully to their marriage with Jesus. So here's what we need to do as a church. We need to embrace those who are single. We need to invite those who are single over for meals. We need to invite them into our families. We need to learn from singles on what it's like to be married solely to Christ. And we need to pray for those who are single. We need to not look at singleness as strange, but singleness as an amazing gift that God has given a person. Not as some type of character flaw within them. This is why we take marriage seriously. This is why Jesus finishes what he says by saying, let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Because God created marriage, you should take your marriage seriously. And so as we conclude, there are just a couple of things that I want to say. Because of that, because God created marriage and because we should take it seriously, if you are thinking about divorce right now, first turn your eyes to the gospel and meditate and reflect how Jesus will not give up on you. 
He will continue to pursue you, to love you through your unfaithfulness, through your mess, through all of the ways that you sin against Him. Think of Christ's love towards you while you've been unfaithful to Him. And then to the best of your ability, seek reconciliation. Don't wait. Find help. Don't continue to bury it and use divorce as a threat. Don't try to distract yourself by saying, well, if we just do this more often, like go on dates, or we just do this, that it'll heal everything magically. There are things that need to come up in conversations that need to happen. Pursue reconciliation, because when you pursue reconciliation and you are reconciled, you get to display the reconciliation of the gospel. Next, if you are divorced and remarried, and you have confessed and repented if you needed to, then live out the gospel with your current spouse as faithfully as you possibly can. There's no sense of going back, because Jesus would say that would be adultery. Stay with your spouse. Stay with the one you have now entered into a sacred oneness covenant with to display the gospel. If you are divorced and single, fully commit yourself to the Lord. Fully commit yourself to the marriage with Jesus. Let Christ be your sole spouse. Friends, brothers, sisters, let's not take marriage lightly. As the culture seems to continue to take marriage lightly, to treat it flippantly, to celebrate it, let's not take divorce lightly. And let's remember, God created marriage. So let's be serious about our marriages. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. Father and Son, we thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. As we await your return, as we await to go home and be with you, help us to remain faithful to you on this journey. Amen.